Welcome to the Navigating Dental Insurance Podcast, where we don't take from insurance companies. Here are your hosts, Mr. Jordan Comstock and Mr. Ben Tuinay. Welcome to the Navigating Dental Insurance Podcast. My name is Ben Tuinay, and yet for another day of solo hosting, Jordan Comstock is unavailable. Uh, Jordan is a lot busier than I am. He has embraced this whole world of travel like I used to do years ago. Um, and so he's been attending a number of meetings across the country, one of which was the uh, ADOM meeting in Florida. I guess who, who can pass that up when you have Disney, Disney World and uh, uh, what's that other one? Universal Studios right there in the middle of Orlando. But I chose to pass that up with COVID. Um, I've just been having a lot of uh, interesting things happening in our community. I'm, you know, Polynesian, as most of you know. Um, COVID has hit our community really hard. So from week to week, I've been attending funerals of fa- family members and friends that have been impacted by this terrible pandemic. Which I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait for it to be over, for all of our sakes, so that we can live in a world that's a little bit more more normal than what we're dealing with now. On a positive note. We received a lot of feedback from you on new topics that we're going to cover. And so this fall, we're planning on engaging. And if you're listening to this in January 2022, this is being posted fall of 2021. And we're wrapping up the topics in an effort to help accommodate a lot of you who are experiencing insurance-related issues as you deal with the changes going on in the industry as it pertains to insurance. I want to focus today, and I want to make sure that we reserve most of our time for our guest. Um, our, our guest is uh, uh, Dr. Jessica Metcalf. Did I get that right, Dr. Jessica Met- Metcalf? Is I pronounce your last name? Exactly. So the way that I say it, it's like a baby cow. So oh, okay. cat. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you for taking time with us. A brief background about Dr. Jessica. She's the founder of The Alchemist Dentist. She's an international speaker, certified life coach. And here's something cool that I learned about her today is that she's a general dentist oncology patient. And uh, in addition to being a practicing dentist, uh, she's a very passionate educator. And uh, it's just so great to have you here on our program today. You reached out to me on LinkedIn. And, you know, I often think that we have a podcast that, uh, interestingly, we have over 80,000 that are on our email list. But I never know who listens to our podcast and what the reach is. And right. so the fact that you reached out on LinkedIn where we connected, uh, it, it just, uh, for me at least, it was kind of a nice thing knowing that, hey, maybe our podcast is reaching people. <laughs> <laughs> no, Who it knows? definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Jessica, um, I, this is a fun question to ask, you know, yeah. dentists and business, business people that come on the podcast, is what motivated you to get into dentistry? So I go back to like the age of 14 and for take your kids to work day in grade 10, my parents were just like, go with your aunt. Your aunt's a dentist. Go with your aunt. I was like, okay, sounds good. And I remember helping out in like sterilization at the time and like talking with the dental assistants and seeing the patients and seeing the way that my aunt structured a life that fit her and that's what being a business owner and being in dentistry essentially gives us the opportunity to do and so when I look back even before that in grade seven once a month when I had braces 
my dad would drop me off at my aunt's house. She had taken that day off and she would take me to my orthodontist appointment. And then we would come home and her friends would come, a couple of her friends would come over and we'd bake the entire day. And I love looking back and the capability of taking a random Tuesday off once a month. You can build that into your life as a dentist because you're the entrepreneur, you set your days, you set your boundaries. And so ultimately, that's essentially the main reason of why I got into dentistry is to create a way of living that specifically fits me. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's, you know, when you look at um, most students when they're picking a career path, um, you know, it's interesting to see what motivates them to get into certain professions, money, you know, fame, you know, for you, it was uh, lifestyle. <laughs> and the flexibility and being able to, you know, be in control of what you what, what you do with your time. Exactly. Which is which is awesome. And so this this whole uh, a great business name in terms of the alchemist dentist, what motivated you to use uh, the world al al alchemist? So alchemy in general is finding this magical elixir to essentially prolong one's life. That's kind of the medieval term behind it. But when you start to unpack it and really start to figure out what's going on with alchemy, it's actually a self-realization that what you need to do to create boundaries, to look into self-care, to live a life that you want is all within you. Mm -hmm. And you just really need to look inside and figure out what that is. And so going back to initially why I wanted to go into dentistry, fast forward to me practicing, I lost all of that. I completely forgot why I actually wanted to get into dentistry because I was stuck in the hamster wheel of thinking I needed to work those five, six days a week. I needed to see as many patients as I could and pushing myself to the limit and to the point that I was in the middle of my third burnout and three times too many. And at that point, I was then diagnosed with clinical depression and a generalized anxiety disorder. And I had to really dig deep into what were the next 25, 30 years of my life going to look like? Because I wasn't going to make it if I kept going the way that I was going. Gotcha. I was just speaking to a client earlier today and he was saying, I, I recommended to him. So I'm not, I'm not a practice consultant or a practice coach. I, I deal strictly in the world of dental insurance just here in the United States. Um, but for this dentist, he's become a really good friend of mine. And because we've had so many great consultants and dentists on our, on our program, I've learned so much about how to run an effective practice. Mm -hmm. And for his area and location, I recommended that he, uh, he give some evening hours a try just because there was a pattern with patients uh, rebooking and canceling. Um, and there were requests for patients to come in the evenings, a lot of requests. So I gave him that recommendation. I was like, yes, okay, so I'm going to, on Friday, we're going to open at 7 a.m. and then we're going to close at 9 p.m. And I'm like, no. <laughs> if you want your team to quit, or right, unless you, have, right. you know, where it's hard to find employees now, you don't want to have that as a problem. Just do, just do 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. or 1 p.m. to 8 p.m. You know, something that's simple that fits within the same amount of hours that you spend any given Friday, but just shift it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was for that very reason, the burnout factor. And I see that happening along among a lot of our colleagues in dentistry is that um, there's this, there's this desire to be perfect or this desire to 
be great, you know, and to pay off debt and to live a great lifestyle and to go on vacations. And sometimes the failure is the fact that we, we do too much in, in too little time, mm-hmm. not thinking about the long-term, you know, the long-term goals and long, long-term objectives. And I'm assuming that's probably where you're going with this uh, imposter <laughs> phenomenon. We'll get into that a minute in a minute. Yeah. But I also wanted to ask um, a little bit about being a general dentist to oncology patients. Now, mm-hmm. pre-show, we talked about the fact that I've never heard of that. Yeah. And I'm actually excited about that because every year we hear about new innovations, new things in dentistry uh, that advance the profession in a way that allows for other dentists to look at different specialties, you know, specialties that were previously unknown. Mm-hmm. And this looks like it might perhaps even be a new specialty, a general dentist to oncology patients. How did you get into that? And what does that really mean to be a, a general dentist oncology patients? So when I uh, finished dental school, I returned to Toronto, which is where my family's from, and I completed a hospital residency program. And I ended up falling in love with oral surgery and applied to oral surgery two years in a row and didn't get in. Now, during that time, I had stayed on as a staff dentist at my previous GPR program. And the reason why I chose that program was it treated medically compromised patients and special needs in adults. And so that's where my focus has always been in complex care. In that program, a part of it was me going to the neighboring cancer center as a part of one of the rotations. Now, that second year that I didn't get into oral surgery, the neighboring hospital reached out to me and said, hey, we know you're devastated, but we want you here. And that's what started my journey with being in the cancer center. And so when I say I'm a general dentist to oncology patients, working out of the cancer center, all I saw was oncology patients. So when friends or family members would be like, hey, I want to come and see you, I'd be like, you don't want to come and see me. I am not the person. When you're seeing me, there's something more that's going on. Mm -hmm. And so the main types of patients that I would see are the head and necks pre, during, post radiation and surgery, Mm -hmm. the leukemias and the lymphomas before they would go for their bone marrow or stem cell transplants. And I'm clearing them of infections before they go because those lingering infections that may not be bothering them at this point in time become problematic when they're severely immunocompromised. And then anyone who was going through chemotherapy, breast, prostate, lungs, who then develop acute active infections would come and see us because A, they're so immunocompromised and their counts could be super low, so it's unsafe to be treated in a private practice setting outside of a hospital. So that's essentially who I treat in a nutshell. So do you have a practice in the cancer centers or do you have a standalone practice Mm -hmm. or both? So, So very interesting. So it depends on the location that you're at. So I recently moved a few months ago. While I was in Toronto, we had a dental department within the cancer center. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in Victoria, British Columbia. And there's still an affiliation in the larger city. So Vancouver, there's a dental department in the cancer center. But the volume just doesn't call for it on the island. So I bring patients into a private practice that I work at. Gotcha. So all of your patients are from those clinics. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's interesting. So I wonder, you know, some dentists that might be hearing this might be fascinated and thinking, well, how do I get, 
how do I look in the back? <laughs> you know, mm. because at the end of the day, we're looking for an active patient base. You know, we're looking for opportunities to treat and uh, opportunities to be innovative, uh, be innovative, just like, you know, what you did with the oncology departments. Um, so I'm assuming that, well, you kind of mentioned that you started first in a hospital. Is that right? Did I hear that mm-hmm. right? Yes. And that kind of evolved into what you're doing now. Exactly. Yeah. So the dental department that I ended up working at for five years, they had started about 38 years ago, and it was a clinic affiliated with more than one hospital. So they also saw cardiac patients to clear them before they would go for their cardiac surgeries or Mm -hmm. um, other transplant patients, including, say, double lung transplant or liver transplants. And so it was, it was seeing more of the medically compromised patients that you can't necessarily see in private practice. Right, right. Are the procedures very similar to that of a general dentistry practice? 100%. So general dentist. So, and that is the one thing that I like to clarify right off the bat. Like mm-hmm. I'm not an oral pathologist. I'm not an oral surgeon. I am a general dentist. So I'm still doing general dentistry for these patients. It's just certain things may have to get done in a specific timeline gotcha. or they have to might be yeah. organized with say blood transfusion clinics because their counts mm-hmm. are so low. So that's what we're looking at from a medical standpoint is what needs to get done either A, before patient starts their treatment, or what needs to be even held off until after they're done their treatment as well. So you're you're coordinating mostly with the oncologists, right? Correct. Building treatment plans with them. So I'm fascinated about this simply because uh, in this day and age, at least here in the United States, uh, general dentists, as well as all specialties of of dentistry, are tapping into medical billing. So that's something that has we haven't really scratched the surface on how to do that in the United States. Okay. Still an unknown concept. But this, what you're doing here, gosh, it, it opens the door for a general dentistry practice to almost, ex, well, to, to, to add medical billing almost immediately, at least from my perspective on how you're describing things and what I, what I know on how medical insurance works. Mm-hmm. But I know that we're not here to talk about that. I was just curious about that. <laughs> I was like, don't even get me started. That's yeah. a whole different tangent right there. Yeah. Well, our, our uh, website is say no to PPOs or say no to insurance. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just so fascinated with this oncology tie-in. I imagine that you do so much work to help these patients that are, are suffering in a big way, you know. And so it's got to be fulfilling to a certain extent what you do. but um, on the opportunistic side of things, from my mind, if anybody who's listening to this that may want to get into this, I will tell you, you want to look into the medical billing component because like uh, if you're doing scaling root planing or a crown or whatever it may be, when you bill those to medical insurance, oftentimes the reimbursements are three to five times more than regular dental insurance. But let's move on. Uh, we'll, we can Maybe you and I can have another conversation about how insurance works in your country up in Canada and uh, and maybe we can we can find some solutions for what we deal with here in the United States because insurance is insurance, and they tend to do the same things no matter what country you're in. Um, so true. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I want to shift gears here and talk about one of your leading topics, which is mm-hmm. the imposter phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Can, yes. <laughs> can you explain to our listeners what what does that mean? What does an imposter phenomenon mean, and and why have you chosen? this as a leading topic. Yeah. So 
Oh, the imposter phenomenon is when you experience self-doubt in combination with the feeling that you're going to be found out. So you explain away your successes, underestimate your abilities, maybe you even chalk your achievements up to luck, or think that the shoe's just going to drop at some point and you don't know when. And so it's not self-doubt on its own. Self-doubt on its own is a measure of you're in your growth phase. There's continuity. You're trying something new. But that anxiety or worry component that someone's going to find me out, I shouldn't actually be doing this, when you know in the back of your mind that you're truly competent, you're credentialed, like you have all of those, but it's thinking that you shouldn't be the one doing that. And so a great example is when you're trying to get ready, let's say you're going to be doing molar endo, and you've worked your way up to it, you've taken your courses, and all of a sudden you essentially scare yourself to the point you self-sabotage, and you're like, no, 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 I shouldn't be the one to do this. I need to take one more course. And then it's always just one more this, one more this, then I'll feel that much more comfortable. Okay, if I have this CE, or if I have this digital technology, or if I have this, this, then I'll actually feel better being able to do it. Or you go back to school and you get another master's or you get a specialty (laughs) program, right? There's all these other things where it's your inner voice telling yourself that you shouldn't be the one doing this. Interesting. I hear that in my head every single day. Um, And I imagine that, you know, as as, uh, business owners, I can relate to this. So I'm not a dentist. But in, in running my own business, I, I, do feel, I do feel exactly what you're saying. When I read this imposter phenomenon, I didn't, I didn't see it that way. I saw it from a complete, completely different perspective, just an assumption. But now that you mention it, um, it opens up a lot for a discussion in terms of, right? <laughs> I, think, I think that I've never admitted to anybody that I, I do doubt myself quite a bit from time to time. Mm. Um, you know, my business is primarily in the United States where I doubt everything from hiring new people. I doubt every, I doubt my skill set from time to time wondering, should we actually be, should we even be doing this or send these clients away? Um, you know, I, I, I think I, I would say that my business is fairly successful, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I have so many doubts about what we do and doubts about directions that, that I need to go. And, and, and I feel exactly what you said. Some, Sometimes I feel like somebody's going to call me out and say, dude, you're just a fraud. Right. And so is that, so is that what you mean when you, when you yeah. say somebody's going to call you out? They're going to say, you don't have any business doing this. Yes, that's exactly it. But no one actually does that. No one no. calls us out on it. It's just us doing it to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. It's the way we choose to speak to ourselves, yeah. which has a huge impact. And that's why I know there's always this term, fake it till you make it, fake it till you make it. I actually despise that quote, because if you can't feel it, and if you tell yourself, I'm going to fake it until I make it, you're already trying to convince yourself that you shouldn't be the one doing this, that you're already a fake, but you're not. And we always want to be learning more and doing more, but that comes with time. So we have to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt that what I know now, the information that I have, the skills that I have now, I can absolutely apply them and with time continue to grow and continue to evolve yeah yeah i this is so i'm just a thought that came to mind was um so we deal in the world of negotiating with insurance carriers on behalf of dentists 
And one of the questions that almost comes, it comes up almost always is, well, I'm just a single doctor practice. Mm. Why would the insurance company want to work with me? And if I do engage in any level of negotiations, are they going to retaliate? And so this fear of fighting the 800 pound gorilla or 600 pound gorilla, I don't know what the exact term is, but the gorilla, the big gorilla. (laughs) (laughs) The fear is, and where the doubt comes into a lot of dentists is, at least from this angle, is I don't want, I don't want to wake a sleeping giant, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and this is the reason why there's a lot of failure in the, in our nation when it comes to fighting the insurance carriers to get what is rightfully yours. But I imagine that you approach it from a different angle, right? In terms of the the clinical component and and just the, the, the individual self-worth, where do you start with your coaching in terms of helping people understand this imposter phenomenon and how do I identify whether they're, they're in that category or at least admit, get them to admit that they're in that category? Where, where do you really start with this? Yeah. So one of the ways that I start is to really have the individual pay attention to the words that they're using to speak to themselves. Because the way that we speak to our patients, the way that we speak to insurance companies, the way that we speak to our team members, our family, that voice is very different compared to how we choose to speak to ourselves. And what the research has shown is even when we're using an indoor voice, so inside our head, that voice we use when we're problem solving, when we're in the shower, having an argument that potentially will will happen when we're reading in our head, that same area in the brain gets activated if you're speaking to yourself or if you're having a conversation with someone out loud, which means then we hear it just as loud. So by starting to be aware to the thoughts that we're having about ourselves, you can start to pay attention and substitute words. So then that way it's getting you to a point that you can start believing the words that you're actually communicating with yourself. Right, right. So, you know, as as I'm thinking about what you're saying here, Mm -hmm. this whole area of self-doubt, I imagine that if you don't go through some of this initial process, it could lead to depression and worse, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think in, you know, in, in my community, at least where I, where, where I live, there's a high rate of depression that goes unnoticed. I actually just spoke with um, a clinician about, the, about this a few weeks ago. We were trying to do, they, I participated in a focus group mm-hmm. and it was a focus group designed for people in my, my ethnic community regarding mental health. Okay. And interestingly, um, people from back home that live here now, we, we participated in this uh, uh, focus group. And what we've, what, what we've learned as a community is that, you know, certain cultures like mine, we tend to brush mental health items under the rug, mm. especially things such as self-doubt, you know, yeah. to where, unfortunately, you know, in my community back in American Samoa, uh, the suicide rate since this whole bad pandemic has started has skyrocketed. And almost every day there's a there's either a kid or young adult or young professional that has lost everything, um, and they and they unfortunately uh, make that decision. You know, uh, w- with a series of you know sort of a, a ripple effect, starting with small things. You know, mm-hmm. that really greatly negatively impact their mental health for them to to go that far. 
So I imagine what, what you're presenting here is an opportunity for dentists to alleviate some of that stress, that mental health stress, you know, and this is probably a good place to start. So in terms of identifying that there is a problem, mm-hmm. what's next? Like what, what, what do, what do uh, dentists need to do? And I bring up the story about my community because when we look at different industries, like in the dental industry and the law enforcement industry, you, you see interesting things as it pertains to mental health issues mm-hmm. um, that often go either uh, un- unnoticed or in my community brushed under the rug. You know, right. um, it's a common theme in my, in my community to suck it up, you know, just, just, just get over it. Yep. yep. Just tough it out. Yep. And that is the worst thing that we could yep. say to someone is to tough it out. Mm-hmm. because what that is saying to the individual is what they're thinking and feeling is not validated. Right. 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 And that in and of itself can be so detrimental to the individual. Mm-hmm. And within dentistry, because we're in a field of extremely high achievers, now you don't just have imposter phenomenon, but you have that perfectionism mindset. Right. And that combination has been shown to be the highest indicators of developing psychological distress, ultimately leading to burnout, clinical depression, and generalized anxiety. Mm -hmm. So we know that this is happening, but the dental community is still, I don't want to say sweeping it under the rug, it's just we're trying to tell each other to kind of almost tough it out. We're not comfortable yet having those conversations, Mm -hmm. which is why I started The Alchemist Dentist, because when I was going through my own experience with it, I didn't feel like I could open up to anyone. And so when I started to heal and I started to be on the opposite end of things and I started to understand why I was experiencing what I was experiencing, I would kind of drop a couple lines here and there with friends, but I was asking for a friend to make it as if it wasn't actually me, right? Yeah. But what I started to notice is when I started to be upfront and vulnerable and share what I was feeling all of a sudden more people that I didn't even know started to come out and say, thank you for sharing this. I thought I was the only one alone in this. It's amazing that uh, you have this bandwagon approach where people feel so uncomfortable talking to anybody, you know, for the fear of being shot down, you know, and and it's so funny, um, a, a funny thought, not to take this lightly, but a thought that came to mind is that, so my wife sees this masseuse, and she, like, when I used to see her, I would cry. Like, I would, inside my, inside, I'm like, oh, this, I don't like this. But she does this deep <laughs> tissue massage. Like, when I used to go to her, I was a lot bigger. You know, I'm a former uh, football player. And over the years, I just, I stopped l- lifting weights because I don't want to be, I don't want to be big anymore. I don't want to be heavy. <clears throat> but this, this person would literally put her elbow into every single tissue in my body to the point where it was it was excruciating and i was like this is not enjoyable for me but i couldn't say anything because in my mind i'm like she's gonna think that i'm a wuss if i cry oh, out. Oh, no. <laughs> i hear you i've been there too <laughs> yeah so here i am on the you know just lying there on on the table and you know just like just suck it up and take it as a man you know and whatever that means these days and just just you know, just endure it, you know, but I never went back. And so she asked my wife, like, why doesn't Ben come back to, uh, 
to get a massage. And, and, and my wife would laugh and say, that's because he's a wuss. <laughs> he can't stand your massages. And so she's like, he just needs to speak up. So my wife explained to him is that, well, the way I'm treated in public is that I'm a, I'm a tough guy. Uh, I don't know why this is true, but people some way, somehow are afraid of me. <laughs> um, and, and people expect me to do hard things, you know, and to be able to take hard things. And I think when you look at dentists, it's no different, right? Yeah. I think the, when the public, when, when, when anybody looks at, at a dentist, they, they make the assumption that they're, you know, they're all rich, they're all successful, they all have, you know, they're smart, they're educated, they, they can take it, you know, they can take hard things. So on the dentist side of things, when, when we talk about what we're going through mentally, you know, and, and, and how tough our lives are, well, how tough dentist lives are, and the doubts that you feel, it's hard to bring those up, you know, to anybody out there that's not considered a clinical psychologist or a counselor, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a flaw, right? I think, I, I mean, how, how, how do you get dentists to be open about these things with each other or with somebody that they trust? By sharing my own experiences. That is, that is a huge component to what I do with the alchemist dentist, because when others can see that not everyone is this perfect embodiment of whatever they deem perfect, Mm -hmm. right? And when we look at social media, you're seeing the perfect clinical cases. You're going to conferences. You're seeing the perfect clinical cases, how to obtain the perfect margin, whether it's gingival or tooth related or whatever it is, right? But the thing is, is that I don't want to know how to get to that perfect margin because if I follow steps A, B, and C, I know I'll get there. I want to know how to manage the mistakes. I want to know what ends up happening when shit hits the fan. I want to know when I feel like I'm in the deepest, darkest hole, who can I talk to? Who's also experiencing these things? And so that was one way for me to get the message out there. And I can almost say it is I started The Alchemist Dentist for selfish reasons <laughs> for myself. But in doing so, it was a way for me to connect with others. So then they wouldn't get to the point of where I was when I was in my own deepest, darkest hole. Yeah. And so if I can help and share fears, doubts, vulnerabilities with others, then I've connected with others in a way that we can make changes so then they can go back to enjoying dentistry, going back to their reason on why they became a dentist, on how can they choose to be happy now and in today's present day. Yeah, uh, this is such a great topic. There's one conference in particular that just started. It's called the Stress-Free Dental Conference. Yes. Um, you heard, heard about that one? It's, yes, it's I have. Smiles at Sea. It's going to be at the Smiles at Sea conference next month in Miami, I believe. Are you headed to I'll that one? I'll be there. I'll be at Dentistry's Got Talent, so I'll be oh, around. Sweet. <laughs> I'll be there on Friday. Sweet. Um, okay. So, I, so I'll, I'll come by and say hello. So on Friday, I'm sitting on a panel for the Stress-Free free Dental Conference. I'm actually going to share um, the organizer for that meeting. I'm going to send your contacts to him because he's planning on doing more of these conferences in the future. I think the whole theme, in, well, one of the things in dentistry is that, you know, your topic is, is spot on. There's definitely a burnout factor. Um, a lot of dentists for the last year and a half, at least that have come to me, they've, they've lost their passion for dentistry. Yeah. Um, a lot have switched careers. Crazy. Yeah. You know, they spend uh, two, $300,000 a 
in student loans and they switch to a different career because they just lose their love and their, their desire to be in the dental field anymore. And to me, I think there's a way, you know, there's a way to, to, to get them to follow your path to get back to the reasons why they love dentistry. Like what you mentioned, I wrote your notes down, you know, when you were 14 years old, your aunt is a dentist and would take Tuesdays off, you know, and then in seventh grade, you do some baking and, you know, you saw that lifestyle and you, and you became passionate about that career path that even me, oftentimes I, I, I have those days where I'm like, Oh, I don't like my job, but most days I do. And we have to remember that, you know, the most days, the majority of the time when we do have positive experience in our careers, I'm curious to know in terms of an engagement with you, like if a dentist is hearing this and says, you know, I, I have this imposter phenomenon and I need help. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm assuming you provide one-on-one coaching on this, right? I do. I have one-on-one coaching uh, that I offer uh, for a monthly rate. And I'd like to set them up for either six month or 12 month um, longevity. Why? Because of the fact that in order to make those changes, you need accountability, consistency mm -hmm. that ultimately allows the individual afterwards to have this sustainability long term. Because yeah. burnout is complex. It's dynamic. It doesn't happen overnight. You didn't start experiencing this crippling self-doubt overnight, which means it's not going to go away overnight. Mm -hmm. So how do you get there? By small baby steps. But the thing is, is that it's completely recognizable and reversible. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So if somebody's interested, how do they get hold of you? They can check me out on social media. So the Alchemist Dentist, or they can email me at info at drjessicametcalf.com. Okay. So for those of you that are uh, occupied or driving or don't have a pen or paper, I'll include Dr. Jessica's information in the show notes, both her website and the email address that she mentioned. And then any other social media accounts that she shares with us will all, all be included in there. Dr. Jessica, wow, this has been a phenomenal topic. Um, quite honestly, I, I think, so there's two things that uh, wasn't familiar with, the general dentist oncology patients, and then somebody in dentistry that's a licensed dentist that uh, coaches on this whole imposter phenomenon, react sort of as a, you know, a mentor, a coach to people that might be struggling in a way that helps them perhaps even improve uh, their mental health, you know, their overall um, ability to, to, to enjoy their, their careers again, you know, and yeah. get back to that. And I love that. Those are two things that I did, didn't know existed in the dental industry. And I guess <laughs> this is why we do what we do. You know, we network and we do podcasts in an effort to find new people, new specialties that you have, and then share them with the public. Um, any final thoughts for our listeners today, Dr. Jessica? Yeah, the last thought that I want to leave with people is we expect a lot from ourselves all the time. Our to-do lists or our checklists are super long and we're always consistently striving for something. But we need to really practice self-kindness and self-compassion because we tell all of our patients, don't wait until you're symptomatic to come and see me because it's too late at that point. So why do we allow ourselves to wait until we're symptomatic to make a change? So start to make those changes now. Take time for yourself. That's great advice. I love that. Well, this has been great. Really appreciate you taking uh, time to be on our program today. And for our guests, um, you know, let's be honest with ourselves. I think we all need a little bit of this in our life. We need a little bit of this type of coaching in an effort to make sure that, uh, that we don't have that burnout, that we don't lose our passion for what we do. And we're always constantly reminded about the joys that we have in our career. 
Dr. Jessica, thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you at Smiles at Sea next month. And to our listeners, we wish you all the very best of success. And we hope that you are all thriving during these very fun and interesting times. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Jessica. Thank you.